a queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Welcome, everyone, to In the Eye Abides the Heart. This is probably my favorite post-jump episode. It was written by Joseph Doherty and directed by Troy and Belisario. And I just don't think you can find a better combination than that. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is a real breath of fresh air after what we've been dealing with uh, in season seven. I still might say that I think um, hit and run, run, run is my particular favorite. I just think that that's a really like fun kind of tight mystery of an episode. But this episode is um, a lot of fun. Some really good moments of like acting for <laughs> like acting. Remember like acting, you guys? <laughs> um, some really good moments of acting from a lot of the actors who have not gotten much to do. Uh, the introduction of some elements that are a whole lot of fun. And um, certain characters who we don't really want to see are like not terribly present, which is also quite nice. Yeah, this episode, uh, I feel like, for one thing, Troyan knows what makes the show tick. Like, she, yeah. knows, she knows what's good. She's been there for the whole run. Uh, so, so we've got that going on. And also, I just feel like, um, you know, when you're writing an episode, probably for this point in time in the season, like, you're, you're limited in, like, what all you can do. Like, you have, you know, you have certain situations, certain parameters that you're working in. Uh, the nonsensical uh, Emerson Paley love triangle, uh, the egg rape babies, etc. Yep. But uh, I feel like I, I feel like one of the things that this script does is we get more of the liar interactions. Yeah, we we get more of kind of just the fun moments uh, that that make PLL really enjoyable. Uh, and there's a lot going on in this episode. Uh, Spencer's doing messages in the wine bottle. Avataria makes her debut. Yeah. Uh, Ren is having a layover. Hannah shows Mona the game. And then Emily's love triangle kind of settles uh, as Paige does her a solid on the way out of town. So we've also got, like, after just, like, it has just felt like we're stuck not even in low gear, but in almost no gear. Uh, here, it feels like we are finally uh, moving forward again. Yeah, and in doing that, it, it sort of gives all of the characters a jumpstart as well and lets them come alive a little bit more than they've been allowed to do of late. Yeah, and I also think, like, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through the episode, but I do feel like Troyan's touch as a director is really present here because even when we see, like, you know, there are some scenes that exist in almost any episode, a scene where the liars recap everything that's happening. Sure. Uh, a scene where a liar gives another liar information that the audience already knows over the phone. But I right. feel like there are ways that Troy kind of like goes out of her way to make those a little bit more interesting. Uh, and I think that that really, uh, that really like lifts this episode head and shoulders. Uh, above the valleys that we have been traversing lately in terms of episode quality. Yeah, and I think that she's getting um, she's getting her actors to dig a little deeper than they've been digging lately, which is really fun to see. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Shall we, shall we dive into it? I think we should, because I was feeling that really from minute one with this first scene. Yes. Yes. Um, so our, our opening scene is Emerson. Oh, yep. who got the shush? I didn't even, oh, we're not there yet. We're not, the we're, shush. No, we're, we're not, not there. The we're, we have miles to go before the shush. <laughs> All right. So our opening scene is Emerson uh, and it's, it's nicely framed. Like they're sitting down, yeah. they're facing each other. There's this kind of gulf of space between them as they discuss the situation. Uh, Emily wants to know what Allison's going to do. Allison asks what Emily wants to do. Emily says it's not up to her. Um, Allison kind of asks Emily how she's feeling. And Emily talks about feeling violated. Uh, Allison has a great line where she says she's actually exhausted from how angry she is. And yeah. I love that. I love the idea that her anger is just like exhausting her carrying it around. That makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Emily wants to get a blood test to make sure it's true, which, as Allison points out, of course it is. This is PLL. This isn't her first rodeo. Um, you know, this isn't like the best written scene ever, but it fits what I remember about Troyan's directing. Like the other actors seem to be dialed in and giving it their best in a way that we maybe haven't seen recently. And Troyan really does seem to care about how the shots are set up and the emotional content of what's going on. And that level of care, I think, is what's been lacking for a while. So it is just great to have it back. Yeah, I think Shay is tremendous in this episode. I actually think this might be one of Shay's best episodes of the whole series. Um, and she has, like, she has a very hard task in this episode. Like, she has to sell some stuff that is really weird and not great. And I think that, like... I don't know if she fully sells it, but she does her best. And I think she is really tremendous in this opening scene. The way that she gets up and says, I feel angry. I feel violated. Like, it just feels so real. Like, the way a person would react to this situation. Like, there's this sort of, this this disbelief at the core of her words that just really shines through. I, I totally agree. And I, I do think this is one of Shay's best episodes. I also feel like... I also feel like it's possible that the thing that Troyan did was give all of the actors notes on what their motivation is heading into each scene. <gasps> and that has made, I truly, I feel like that has made yeah. a significant, significant difference. Yeah. And, and I mean, Shay gets to be a little flasher in the scene. Sasha's also wonderful in this episode. Yeah. She, she, this is also one of Sasha's best episodes. I mean, this is also one of Lucy's best episodes. Like, honestly, like everybody's really, they're, they're putting their best feet forward here. They really are. And I, I love, there's this almost, um, Emily and Allison are very much in a dance for a lot of this episode. And this scene really feels like Allison, Sasha is playing it as though Allison isn't sure which one of them is going to take the lead, but she wants to sort of give Emily the opportunity. And I, I love the way she sort of plays that, that push pull of like trying to be open. And there is, you know, speaking to sort of the motivation piece that you mentioned, there is a sense that like, she maybe has taken to heart what Emily said to her an episode or two ago about like, why do you, you know, punish us for loving you or whatever it was. She said that like, here she is trying to be more open. Yeah, and I also, I love the way that, like, this is our opening scene. They are miles apart. Like, they're as far apart as they can be while 
in the same room. They're sitting kind of formally on these chairs that are opposed to each other. And then when we get to like kind of the culmination at the end of the episode, they're going to be like close together. They're going to be like yeah. right next to each other on the floor. They're going to be holding each other. And I, I think that like the the symmetry of of that is is very nice. I agree. I agree. Um, so next comes the introduction of maybe my favorite part of this episode. Uh, it begins with Arya bizarrely being crouched behind a dumpster outside of the brew. It's like a bizarre area. We've never seen her hang out here. She's like on the ground pretty much. Um, and she gets a blocked video chat. And who is on the other end of this blocked video chat? But Ava frickin' Taria. I just, this image will never not make me <laughs> smile. The uncanny valley of it, the way that the, the vocal distortion of it, the like genuinely amazing Lucy Hale acting going on here. And then like whatever, like the amount of, um, the amount of distortion that they put on this, you know, we often talk about like some of the technology on this show being kind of a little bit lackluster, especially like as the show has gone on. But like the way that they engineered this is perfection. It's like just real enough to to creep you out, but it's gl- like just glitchy enough to also creep you out. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, and Avataria is here so that Arya can talk face to face with a familiar face you know avataria just wants to make aria feel comfortable i think my favorite thing maybe about the, all of this is aria herself does not seem as freaked out as she should be <laughs> there's sort of an element of like well this tracks um avataria wants aria to understand that she will do what she's told or her friends will hate her and presra will go to jail and what are they going to do together end the game and I think, like, let's just take a moment here and talk about why do we love Avataria. And I'll just start by saying, like, one of the things that I love about Avataria, beyond just the the spectacle of it, is that this is always sort of what we want. Like, it's like the liars talking to the mirror version, darkest impulse version of themselves. It's so much fun. This is like, I, in a way, I think Alex Drake is an extension of this same idea but it's like too literal and like this is like just like like fucked up in this way that's like somehow so much more perfect than the whole Alex Drake thing yeah yeah I I, it's like the idea that like your greatest nemesis is like an an inverted version of yourself like when Superman fights Bizarro or something like everybody has their opposite number um, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. I think that like Avataria is just so hilarious. Like the jaw is a little too strong. The lips move super weirdly. Um, it's real fun to watch this episode, like at, at this point in time, which is only, you know, a few years later, but like when weird ass AI image generation is really like at a different place than it was back then. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I guess we do see how many fingers Avataria has and it's a normal number. Um, But yeah, this is this is super fun. Also, just like this, this scene, too, we see um, we see like Troy's direction, like 
it it starts by following like this worker who's taking out the trash behind the brew and like yeah it's the character that we follow into the scene which is like another just nice like the business of rosewood goes on and the liars are like crouching behind dumpsters for no reason um, yeah the economy maybe, of rosewood yeah maybe just, yeah this guy like he probably is just like he went into the, the brew to buy coffee six years ago and emily was like cover for me and he's just been <laughs> trapped there uh as their indentured servant ever since but yeah, I, I really love this. I think it's possible Arya's just been hanging out behind dumpsters because that's better than being in Prezzer's apartment. Um, sure. But, you know, hard to hard to say. Um, also, I wish that this story, like, because the whole thing, Avataria has the file, the Arya file that Jessica De Laurentiis had been keeping, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, she's just basically saying, like, yeah, I'm, you know, Presria will go to jail, whatever. I think the storyline would be so much more interesting uh, and so much more fucked up if Arya, uh, if it was like there was evidence that he'd been involved with another underage girl or something. Like yeah. if Arya was like actively trying to help him cover up something else. Because as it stands, it's just like Arya is prioritizing his freedom over the welfare of the other liars, which I really don't like. Yeah, I don't I don't like it either. But what I do, I don't know if I would say I like, but I find interesting is this idea of Arya um like kind of looking out for just herself. Yeah. You know, I I think that that's a that's that's a very that's a that's a sort of fascinating idea. And the idea that like Arya is eventually the one that says like we've been doing it this way for so long. What if we just don't? Like I feel like this is yeah. another exploration of that. Like what if we what if we can break the cycle? What if there is a way to get out? Um, but also it, like when you think about Arya, you know, giving Arya directions or Avataria giving Arya directions, like it's interesting to think that there could be a piece of Arya who's like what you did was wrong. He should be in jail. Uh, that then, like, our, yes, you know, our ostensible protagonist Arya has to fight against. Um, I think that's actually happening all the time. Well, that's one of the things that I love about Avataria, and that that like, and that then Avatar, it's like Avataria is not letting Arya forget. No, you had this impulse at one point. Yeah, punish him for this. Like, we're bringing that back. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. Guess what? I still don't know who did the shush. Who did the shush? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the shush is meaningless in this one. A liar does the shush. A liar does the shush. <laughs> we'll give it to Avataria. Yeah, why not? Avataria. Avataria was like behind them in the sky and got the shush. Yeah. <laughs> At the brew, the liars are doing, they're reviewing the latest development scene. Suspicion is strong against Lucas this week because he was friends with Charlotte, who again gets dead named and misgendered here. Uh, Hannah is convinced of his innocence and everyone acts like Lucas told them he didn't know anything about Charlotte. Which, when did they ask him this? Don't ask questions, it's all vibes. Anyway, uh, we get a nice moment of Spencer saying that not everyone tells you everything and Arya just looking stricken. Uh, just looking so, so guilty. Um, Arya also points out uh, that the loft tried to kill her and that it could be full of bugs and cameras. 
Uh, Emily's like, ooh, good point. I'll help look after I'm back from school. Um, Spencer is busy being spun out that Mary was in Pastor Ted's house, just 15 to 20 feet away from them. We also learned that Emily and Allison have been to a lab and are rushing a magical blood test uh, that's going to tell them all kinds of information about the parentage of this baby. Um, Aria ignores a video call right before everyone else leaves. And when she checks, we see it is from a blocked number, sure to be Avataria. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Um, Emily has a great queer look for a lot of this episode. It's like this kind of, you know, like button up situation. That's like a couple more buttons than should probably be unbuttoned for her to be going to work at school. But, you know, <laughs> you, you got to You got to go with the look. Um, I also just think it is very funny that Spencer is like, you know, it makes the comment about the whole time we were talking to Pastor Ted. It's like you were talking to Pastor Ted for like 45 seconds, Spencer. It's not like it's this giant betrayal. <laughs> On the topic of those buttons, there's going to be a scene where Emily and Paige are in the teacher's lounge. And I'm like, I feel like this is definitely code for they just banged because like they're both very, very unbuttoned, like much more unbuttoned than one would expect for a teacher's lounge gathering. I thought. More unbuttoned than they were after um after their little rendezvous in the train compartment. Far more unbuttoned. <laughs> uh, so Spencer has brought Marco cupcakes that might not actually exist. Uh, Marco is here looking for Toby, but where is Toby? Well, he is fishing or not fishing with Caleb. And Marco replies, not fishing can be very relaxing. What? <laughs> what is this dialogue? Like, they had to know that this sounded like they're talking about gay sex, right? The only way I feel like that implication could be gayer is if they had, like, a line like, oh, yes, they're fishing out at Brokeback Pond. <laughs> I know it's such an odd because like I think that we're what we're meant to think is like the not fishing part is like comforting one another about their sadness but like manly bonding manly bonding but like the way that Marco replies not fishing can be very relaxing I'm like <laughs> what <laughs> it's such a weird line um but anyway the not fishing bros are uh, not not present this week which is kind of a nice thing for us uh, Spencer brings up the mysterious finger that Marco got, and Marco suggests that Mary might be responsible. There was a weird thing in this episode and last episode where, like, the the thought that Mary might be responsible for Archer's death is brought up multiple times as, like, a bump bum bum. But, like, as we discussed last week, of course, she would be the number one suspect. Like, that, that doesn't seem like a huge revelation. Uh, Marco asks if Spencer thought that Mary was involved in Archer's death when she asked him to look for her. And there's like this kind of mini Columbo-esque standoff where Spencer's like, oh, well, I didn't know that Archer was dead when I asked you. And he's like, that's right. You didn't know. And it's clear that like he's he, he, he's sniffing something here. Yes. Yes. One thing I just will say, I like that Marco is not a dumb cop. Yeah, that's kind of a pleasant change. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, he, he can pick up on some weirdness here. 
And I, wow, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something positive about the Spencer Marco dynamic. Um, <gasps> yeah, everyone calm yourselves. Uh, no, I think that uh, we, for so long, we saw this like dreadful Tobe is a cop versus Spencer dynamic where Tobe was like, he's for law and order and truth and justice in the American way. And here's his wayward little woman friend who's constantly going out and being gay and doing crimes and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. like sure. i'm so bored of that dynamic i'm really glad that with marco we have a different situation they don't have this history so his loyalty is very much up in the air we don't really know yeah. like is his loyalty going to be to spencer is his loyalty going to be to like the job to law in order to finding out the truth uh also we don't know like like his loyalty is more in question their relationship is more in question and he seems suspicious of her but he doesn't really patronize her and so i i appreciate that as well yeah he almost there's almost a sense that he wants her to be smart enough to lie to him yeah yeah you know Agreed. yeah yeah um so, oh yes uh so Ar next, Aria the loft. Yes, Aria is arriving. Um, was she at the loft or she at Presres? I think. Or at, at Presres, yeah. I guess. Yeah. To uh, just in time to hear him once again on the phone talking about Nicole and her therapy. Uh, he's on the phone with Nicole's dad, who apparently wants him to come back. This whole thing here is so weird. Uh, also, he's just about to run out and do errands because no conversation is at all possible uh, between Arya and Prezra at all. He has just pressing errands that need to be run right now. Uh, Arya is about to maybe follow him when she gets another video call from Avataria. Avataria first says she should never be sent to voicemail, making a throat slitting gesture, which is perfect because she's like acting like she's slitting her own slash Arya's throat, uh, and also threatening Prezra with jail again, uh, to which I say, don't threaten me with a good time, Avataria. Mm -hmm. um, she wants to know where Spencer and Hannah went. And I feel like this must be just a test of Arya's truthfulness, as Mary Drake absolutely knows where they were. Um, but Arya says they went looking for Mary Drake, but they didn't find her. Avataria presses further, and Arya admits that they spoke with Charlotte's father, Avataria abruptly hangs up yeah one of the things that i think is really interesting about this is like we've talked about how aria is usually the best liar but she's not good at lying in this scene and it's almost like she can't lie to her own face that is so fascinating yeah i love that, I love that interpretation yeah I, I i love it being that like you know the idea of like you always know what you know, even if you don't know it. Like, it's very, sure. you know, it's it's very, like, um, yeah, I, I think that's so interesting. Yeah, I agree. So in the teacher's lounge, we are in the aftermath of a conversation where Emily has told Paige, there's, like, going to be multiple scenes of Emily having, us coming into Emily having just dropped a bomb on poor Paige. And in this case, she's clearly told Paige that Allison is pregnant and, like, not really anything else. Um, and, and you know, making it seem like Allie is pregnant with Rollins' baby. Uh, Paige says that she feels sorry for Allison 
and grants that Emily helping watch out for Allison makes sense. There's a brief handhold, and then Emily gets a call from Allie concern, uh, confirming that the eggs are hers, but the baby, but the the but it's not Dunhill's. Uh, Allie asks what Emily is thinking, and Emily says that she isn't thinking anything at all right now. Now, this is the first time I'm going to note something about this storyline that I'm going to probably bring up multiple times, which is that if this storyline was Allison deciding that she wanted to have the baby, discovering either before or after she found that out that the eggs were Emily's, and then Emily deciding to help out, it would improve this storyline like 150%. Oh, yeah. But because it's going to be Emily pressuring Allison, Emily, for some godforsaken reason, deciding out of nowhere that she needs to have this baby and pressuring Allison to keep it. And it's not clear who's going to be actually doing the raising part of the baby. Uh, it 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 really it really hinders this. There's it's also very interesting to me that there is this obsession in this episode with who the baby's biological father is in a way that makes it out as though that information would drastically change a who the child is and b who would be raising the child and i think that that's so connected to like the pll like dna is everything biology is everything thing when it's like ultimately if allison's raising the baby like the baby it doesn't really matter who the father is if Allison decides to raise the baby, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I completely, I completely agree with all of that. And I also feel like you, like later in this episode, Hannah is going to talk about wanting a baby and we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get there. But I feel like in particular, the character of Allison, you don't have to look very far to get to like, a narrative place where you could see her maybe wanting to be a mother like she's always kind of longed for family that she doesn't feel like she has you know her mom died her dad is a you know no good nick um jason isn't around as much as she wanted charlotte is dead she feels she was deceived um by her i i feel like you don't have to look far for like allison is really longing for family and even though this is like a messed up place to get there, like she might, you know, she might feel that there's some appeal to it. You also like the idea of like, Jessica was not a great mom. Jessica buried Allison alive. Maybe yeah. Allison feels like, well, I could at least do better than that. Like, here are some reasons why Allison like might be persuaded in this way, but they don't, they don't go for any of that. They just go for this weird, weird story um, where Emily is, is going to, feel like this major need for the baby to exist yeah yeah it's this is where pll suddenly decides oh these early 20s girls they need to be baby crazy (laughs) also in the teacher's lounge um this is the scene where Paige and emily have so many buttons undone on each of their shirts like seriously it is three to four buttons for each of them we're almost at like fabio levels of unbuttoning uh, so I definitely think that that combined with the handholding means they probably just had sex maybe in the carpeted locker room. Uh, and also when Allison, like at the end of this episode, the, at the end of the scene, when Allison is kind of staring off into the middle distance, that's at like a baby picture and some books on the shelf. Just going to note that one of the books on the shelf 
uh, some of them are parenting books. And we also have uh, Carson Cressley's off the cuff style guide just to give this episode <laughs> that much more gayness. What an interesting choice. Huh. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yes, I am surprised for all the drag race that you have watched. I am surprised that you did not uh, clock that book. On the I didn't. I didn't. Shame on me. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um yeah yeah uh at the barn oh my gosh i love this episode spencer walks in and we are immediately in like colombo meets the three bears territory yep. someone has been sleeping in her bed and they left the pillows askew someone has been drinking wine from her wine glass um also just the way that troy approaches this wine glass like she's about to do forensic tests on it top notch uh then she espies a wine bottle empty with a note sticking out of it on the patio where the door is like slightly ajar the note says need to talk please mary <laughs> it's amazing it's like how can i be the most dramatic you know and and the most like spencer specific you know <laughs> It's yes. incredible. It's like catnip for Spencer. You have it wine, is. you have a mystery. This is yes. just like this handwriting. Is you have breaking and entering. Like yeah. there's just so much here that we love. And this is another one. Like we've had a lot of these scenes lately where it's like a liar having like a scene that's just them. And a lot of sure. times they fall really flat. We have quite a few of those in this episode. And again, they're they're all really lively, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's one with Hannah a, a little bit later, too. Um, I also just, I don't know, I love the idea that Mary can kind of speak Spencer's love language. I think that's yes. great. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh, so Hannah is considering action figures at the loft and still insisting that Lucas wouldn't hurt them. Uh, Emily is a bit distracted and Hannah asks what she's going to do about the baby. Uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point that nobody will be getting an abortion because we've like fully just started referring to the fetus as the baby. You know, yes. it's, we have we have we have personified this being. Uh, Emily says that she will do whatever Allie wants to do. They find a box of comic books and Hannah unhelpfully starts talking about what a cute baby she and Caleb could have. And, like, this is one of those things where, like, maybe this is a thought that you would have, uh, especially, like, they've been, you know, on and off for a while. They seem to be, like, somewhat firmly on at this point. But, like, now is not the time, Hannah. Like, maybe read the room a little bit. Uh, also, why does she want to have kids already? She is herself still quite a fetus. Uh, they kind of rifle through this box of comic books and find a comic book written by Lucas and... Charlotte. Of course, though, we have to have the dead name on the comic book, not Charlotte's name. And one of the just little details that I found slightly annoying is, like, there's a lot of handwriting in this episode. And, like, they seem to make a point of having the, like, dead name scrawled in sort of, like, effeminate handwriting as opposed to Lucas's kind of, like, blocky masculine handwriting. And, like, they probably thought that was, like, a nice touch, but I just found it kind of annoying because it's like, but you're still using the dead name. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love that, like, apparently 
Emily and Hannah have been living in the loft for an unknown number of Novembers, but they have never yep. like looked around at anything no. in their living space before. <laughs> like they're just kind of like, what's in these boxes? <laughs> really? <laughs> Comic books? Action figures? <laughs> oh my. It's it's so goofy. Um I like, okay. So Obviously, like people can make decisions about wanting or not wanting to bear children, like in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different circumstances. And so I, you know, but I just do think that like what Hannah is talking about here is Hannah's talking about like, you know, she's starting to think that maybe she wants a baby. She wants to plan to have a kid with Caleb. Um, And I am just going to say that I find that to be shocking considering that Hannah and Emily are both living in a borrowed loft, like neither of them, like neither of them has like a place that is like where they're on any kind of a lease or where they like know that they're going to be living there. Like it's for a completely undefined term. Um, So like, this is a consideration. Um, Hannah does not currently have like a job particularly right now, like she doesn't even have this burgeoning fashion business because everything has been ruined due to the investors and money being imaginary and everything. Um, So Hannah does not have a job. Uh, Caleb does not live anywhere. I guess he also maybe (laughs) lives at the borrowed loft or maybe he, maybe he lives at the Bradley where he was doing some security work for Ashley. Is he still, he presumably had a job in DC. Did he quit that? The point is that these people have like not a real living situation and no source, no discernible source of income. Uh, So I feel like, Oh, Oh. And also there is a psychopath who is like continuing to terrorize them. So I really, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I really feel that for these three reasons now might not be the time to feel like a baby is the right choice for Hannah and Caleb. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I I think also that Caleb might be just living with Toby and they're (laughs) In their not fishing cabin together, and they can just fish or not fish for as long as as long as they please. I mean, how amazing would it be though if we got that scene from Brokeback Mountain where Michelle Williams, you know, sees the kiss, <laughs> but it's Hannah seeing the kiss between, you know, but then she just like turns around, calls Spencer, and like they run off together. Like that's oh, that, that's, that's what I want. We, that's- that's the, That's show, the show that we, we want. It's not, it's not too much. It's not too no, much to ask. It's really not. <laughs> uh, so now uh, Allison is in Marco's office. Uh, they go back and forth over his theories about Dunhill's death. Uh, he now believes that three to four people might be involved. A very random number. Uh, he mentions what good friends she has. So now we're like into like little red riding hood territory, like what good friends you have. Uh, He offers her a cupcake, side note, the gluten-free, fat-free, sugar-free, dairy-free cupcakes that Spencer has brought definitely mean there is a new queer baker at the brew. Yeah. Again, Allison declines the cupcakes 
uh, this episode, this is just another like sort of nothing scene. Uh, and we've seen a lot of them this half season, but the actors are selling it in this episode just a little bit more. Yeah, I felt like um, Marco was really channeling Tanner at certain parts of this episode. Um, and, and and I definitely felt that in this particular scene. Well, I, I feel like, it, like, what is the situation? Does Allison just have a standing appointment to show up at the police station <laughs> once a day so that the cops can act suspicious of her? Yeah, yeah, it's like Allison. Here's here's your here's your your daily like appointment, so we can kind of <laughs> leer at you and and smirk. Yeah, and like make make you know veiled insinuations against you and your friends. Yes, one, two, three, <laughs> maybe more, possibly four. Friends. <laughs> Do you know anyone who has four friends <laughs> who are? upset about Dunhill imprisoning them in a mental asylum and putting a Hannibal mask on their face? Just asking questions. Let's play a rousing game of hot and cold, Allison. How does that sound? Exactly. Exactly. I I like how in our impression, Marco's turned into this sort of like arch, like vaguely British like (laughs) detective guy. Yes. Uh, Yes. So in a in a bit that's I think really really well directed and edited, uh, Emily and Hannah are sort of frantically recapping the comic book to Arya as she flips through it. Uh, a bullied kid finds a woman in the woods who becomes his protector. Lucas was connected to Charlotte. Uh, the comic has we sort of linger on on a on a page in the comic that has a picture. Uh, that is similar to the whole switch situation where they had to choose in the dollhouse. Uh, they question, you know, whether they can talk about this to Allison and they decide no, because, you know, there's just a lot going on with, with Allison right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also love this. This is like another one of the scenes that's like, we, we get like a recap. It actually contains a little bit of new information because we do see the panels of the comic book, but it's, it's basically like we're. We're restating this so that another liar can have the information and so that we're recapping it for the audience. Um, but this one, again, the delivery is so good. Like, yeah. you know, like Arya's like taking it in while Hannah and Emily are like talking over themselves to try and give her the whole story. Yeah. Um, again, I just feel like it has more more energy than we're used to seeing. And one of the ideas that they sort of float in this scene is like, could Lucas actually be the father of the baby? Yes. And this is just another example of like being connected to a person who's evil is like, you're definitely evil also. Um, Because Lucas like wrote this comic book with Charlotte. um, Definitely like, you know, even though it was like years ago when they were children, uh, obviously they now think that he might be a sociopath too. Well, of course, naturally, right? That's how it works. Law of the Kill universe. Back at the barn, Spencer leaves her own message in a bottle that she sets outside on the patio, leaving the door partially ajar again. Uh, Is this a whole new bottle of wine that Spencer just drank, is my question. I really hope that it is just the same wine bottle they keep putting notes in. If each of them are downing an entire bottle of wine prior to the note leaving, that, that would be intense. That's a that's a that's a problem. That it's, that would that would qualify as a problem. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but 
but I am I am choosing to hope that it is a single wine bottle that is being sent back and forth between them, like a, a message across the sea. Okay, okay. We can go with that, for sure. <laughs> uh, so Arya is back behind her favorite little dumpster, uh, reporting on the comic book to Avataria. And she starts kind of prodding at Avataria, asking if it's Lucas underneath all of that. Uh, whoever this person is does not give her an answer, instead saying that Arya is a good spy. Let's see if she is also a good thief. Uh, and Avataria holds up, like, three numbers in what appears to be, like, a locker combination. We'll find out that this is connected to a locker. Yeah, I love that Arya is wearing a red leather jacket of betrayal. Uh, I love that now that she's in league with Avataria, all she does is hang out in alleys against brick walls near dumpsters. Yep. Yep. Uh, really, really like this for her. But dislike the, uh, you know, we've we've had like a resurgence of the transphobia in this episode and, and in recent episodes with the dead naming and the misgendering and really don't like it when Arya says, you know, she's asking him, Lucas, is it you under all that? By which I presume she means the filter, but in that context, it really yeah. feels like, is this Lucas masquerading as a woman? Yeah, that's a very good point. And it's, yeah, it's it's trading in the same transphobia that's just kind of been, the series has been steeped in this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now Emily is at the barn telling Spencer that she does not want more wine. Well, actually, maybe just a splash. And, you know, she didn't come here for Spencer to tell her what to do, except what does Spencer think she should do? Uh, Spencer does not know and definitely doesn't think that she has any sense of how to find happiness. Uh, Emily has a wild fucking opinion that she doesn't get to weigh in on what Allie should do, correct, until they figure out who the father is. What? This gets swept under the rug very quickly uh, as Emily starts to talk about Mary Drake's for my child letter uh, and kind of waves the waves of pain and regret that were pouring off of it. Uh, oh my goodness, we are now in the business of retcon to such an extent that even things from a mere few episodes ago are fair game. Uh, anyway, Emily never wants to have to write a letter like that. To, uh, this could be seen as an interesting character moment if it were at all intentional if the idea were like that Emily knows herself well enough to know that she's kind of always got one foot out the door sure um, but it doesn't it doesn't read like that it just reads very muddled uh, at this moment Spencer notices that her note has been taken from the wine bottle Mary Drake must be near uh, and just to say about this scene, this is another thing this episode has that others have been lacking. We get some nice liar liar interactions. Yeah, yeah. This this is this is a sweet scene in in that regard. You know, and I I like Spencer. There's there are a few moments in this episode of a character basically saying like, "Don't ask me for advice. I'm not equipped to handle giving you advice about this topic." Like. Yeah, in this case, you know, it's this idea of like family and parenthood that is such a bruise for Spencer right now. Later, it will be for Allison, the idea of love, which is such a bruise for her. So I like that symmetry a lot. Um, I agree that the whole business about like, I can't weigh in until we know who the father is, is just the weirdest logic. Um, it's just so strange that like, the focus is on 
whose baby this might be, not is anybody involved in the situation ready to raise a baby? <laughs> you know, like yes. that should be the primary thing that we're worried about, but nobody really seems that concerned about it. And like to your point about the letter, I'm like, would she be writing that letter to Allison? Would she be writing that letter to a baby that never existed? Would she be writing that letter to a baby that she abandoned? Like, it, it is so un- unclear. And also, like, I think Shay is wonderful in this scene. I think she's really selling it as best she can. But, like, Emily didn't really have any particular reaction to that letter it wasn't like Emily like lingered over that letter more than anybody else did. So her it having stuck with her in that way doesn't really track. And again, I feel like you don't have to look super hard to like dig up a narrative reason why Emily might want this. Like Emily too is searching for family. She recently sure. lost her dad. Like, you know, there there could be like things going on with her as well, but but what they're giving her here, it doesn't, it, it's just not making sense. It doesn't really compute. We'll, however, say that this is, uh, we're going to see another example later, but uh, Troyan has Emily, has Shay as Emily doing some nice physical work here. The way she's sort of like draped very dramatically over this chair yes. and like the wine glass is like in her outstretched hand. Um, very, very nice. Again, just injecting the scene with like a little bit extra. Also, Emily is going to have the worst hangover tomorrow because she like starts here with the drinking and then she's going to go over to to the Radley with Paige and they're like knocking back cocktails. And it's like, oh, God, wine and like whatever, like an old fashioned or something like Jesus, Emily. And we don't see her eating at any point either. Like, God, Um, Hannah, meanwhile, is just going to be on a caffeine high because she is at the brew on the phone telling Spencer that the comic book is gone, gone, gone. Um, oh no, wait, I'm sorry. I'm not in the right, I'm not in the right spot. I'm, I skipped a scene. (laughs) Hannah arrives home and checks at the comic book for the comic book and finds that it's gone, gone, gone. (laughs) Yes. I I love her Grunwald level instinct to just go for the comic book when she walks in the door. I love this reminded me a lot of the Spencer scene earlier where it's like she comes in and her spidey senses are just tingling. And like Ashley Benson, who has not been the most dialed in for like yeah. some time now, like you see, this is something we haven't seen from Hannah in a while. You yeah. sense some interiority to her. Like, yes. You see yes. her like hackles going up. You see something happening inside her eyes that she's like, oh, I need to go do this. Uh, like with another director, this would just be like Hannah walks in, she sees the comic book is gone, end of scene. Like, but we again, we're we're just getting a little, we're, we're getting more, and it's really really great. And it's not being spelled out in a way of like, oh, like Lucas's bag is on the floor or something, right. you know, right. or like there's yeah. a there's a door open or like there's just a sense that she knows. Yeah, and it like this is a scene where they trust the audience to know what's going on. Like, they trust that the audience understands Hannah. We understand that there's this comic book that she's looking for that's not there. Like, they don't they don't go through, like, the trail of breadcrumbs to spell it out for us like they often do at this point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, back at the De Laurentiis house, Emily confesses to Allison that she would like her to have this baby so that Emily can raise it 
And the reason that she gives, she says, because she doesn't want whoever did this to win. To which I say, wow, I have totally lost track of what winning would look like for anyone, I guess. Um, Allison is in disbelief. She asks a really good question is, is that enough of a reason to have a baby? Great question. Love that she asked it. And then Emily says, that's not the only reason, but Ben provides zero additional reasons. Yes. Um, despite saying that she knows she is asking more than she has any right to, she wants Allie to promise to at least think about it. Allison promises that she will. Uh, yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I really feel like, um, good question about like, is that enough of a reason to have a baby? Also here, Emily is saying that she, she wants Allison to have the baby so that she, Emily can raise it. Um, to which I also would like to point out that Al, that Emily is living on the couch of the loft yes. that, that Lucas is lending to Hannah. Is yes. she just going to like prop up a bassinet next to her couch? And that's, that's going to be hope for the what best happens here. Is she going to move in with Allison here in the De Laurentiis house? Does Allison want that? Are they going to co-parent? Is Emily just going to take the baby like in a car in the 1940s? Like what, what are they thinking is going to happen here? Who like financially, who's going to support this baby? Yeah. I just feel like there are really a lot of other things they should talk about um, other than like, they're, they're acting like this is just like an existential question. Like, yes. Baby or no baby. <laughs> similar, similar to like, you know, should we get an Instapot or should we not? Like, yeah, except yeah. that Instapot is like, do you believe in angels? Yeah. Do you believe in angels or not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's an astonishing way to contemplate child rearing. That is, that is all I have to say about it. Well, and it also goes back to remember during the whole egg donation process where I was like, I don't think that these writers understand what egg donation is. Do they think that Emily donated all of her eggs and that she has none left? Because that's kind of the way everybody is acting. They're kind of acting like this is Emily's last chance to have a child. And it's like, no, that's actually not how it works. If Emily wants to have a baby of her own. Emily can have a baby of her own. Emily still has eggs that can be used. But if they're acting like, you know, oh, they reached in there, scooped them all out and tucked them into Allison. And what are we going to do? <laughs> Got to have a baby. Crack a few eggs. You make an omelet. You have to have a baby. Like, yeah. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's it, I, poor Allison. Like she is being put in such an awful position here. So now Hannah is at the brew on the phone telling Spencer that the comic is gone and she's just like spinning out here. She's like glancing around wildly at various brew passersby. She says that they have to find something that'll give them an edge. Uh, I really like this energy for Hannah. This is like what happens when Caleb goes out of town to not fish with Toby. Um, Spencer kind of gives her advice that Spencer often has to take, which is basically like, calm down, stop drinking coffee, go to bed. Um, and then she gets quite distracted when she discovers a new note that has a key inside of it. Yes. Love this scene again. This is one of the like 
we're not getting any new information here. We know the comic book is gone. Hannah just has to give that info to Spencer. But like Spencer, at the start of the scene, she's laying down on the bed and she like rises up into the frame and she's like, yeah. what do you mean it's gone? Yeah. Uh, and then Hannah's just like kind of panicky, like, you know, someone gives her a weird look because she's freaking out in public, which honestly, people should do that to the liars all the time because they're constantly freaking out in public. They're constantly talking about murder plots in public. Like, I wish all of the passersby were constantly like, whoa, those, you know. What's happening? <laughs> so I, I love, I love that. Um, but again, just like better energy being brought to bear on a, a scene that doesn't have all that much going on in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so back at the brew, back at the brew, who should appear next to Hannah? But Vander Jesus, Mona is here. Oh, Vander Jesus. This episode has everything and Vander Jesus. Um, She is here. She is holding up a real estate listing on her iPad. This is the factory space that Lucas had promised to Hannah, and it is up for sale. Mona is mad. His promises to back Hannah all the way are no good. Um, okay, I'm just going to say that Hannah did not even recognize the space when Mona showed it to her. She's obviously not done anything with it so far. And I'm just going to suggest that they should maybe really talk to Lucas before jumping to any conclusions here. Uh, but this is all just so Mona can insist that Lucas is just as sneaky as she is. Uh, Hannah makes a snap decision. She's going to show Mona something. But Mona has to promise not to tell anyone else. The look on Mona's face, this is foreplay for sure. Do we think that Mona like engineered all of this? And this is just like a picture of some random (laughs) face in Philly. She's like, I sense that Hannah has something to tell me. I'm going to like push her a little bit. I love that idea. I love that idea. It is not outside the possibilities at all. Yeah, I think it could be. Uh, So this next scene, I really love the way it's filmed. Aria arrives at school in the dark. uh, She's just illuminated by a flashlight that she's waving around the hallways. Uh, She opens the door for locker 214 and drops off an envelope that appears to be the comic book inside the locker. She walks away. She hears a noise. And something about that noise seems to sort of snap something in her and she kind of has this look on her face like no no I'm not going to do this she turns around she opens the locker back up and there's no comic book inside but there is a black hoodie Aria is part of the A-team everybody what an amazing scene beautifully directed uh just love this love this for Aria uh love this love this for the plot I do too. This actually, like, I feel like if you just saw this, this could be out of Buffy, like the abandoned yeah, halls of the high school, sure. Aria's, you know, patrolling with a flashlight. Um, yeah, great, great work all the way around. 100%. Uh, at the Radley Bar, Emily and Paige are having a talk. Emily, this is now like another situation where Emily's dropped a bomb off screen. Uh, she has told Paige about Allison's baby being made with Emily's eggs. And now Emily is indicating that after it's born, they'll tell everyone the truth or half the truth. Um, you know, basically, this is all very poorly thought out. Paige goes to get another round of drinks. Yeah, I, I love Paige has this look on her face like, 
well, fuck, of course. <laughs> Throughout this whole scene. Like, I feel like it's like, well, God fucking damn it. Of course Emily's having Allison's baby. That's my life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Paige, Paige will remain, like, pretty much pitch perfect for the rest of this episode. Give or, agree. give or take like a couple of weird moments but we'll talk about them uh so mona is here to inspect the game looking more than a little turned on she runs her hands over it she leans her head against it hannah says that caleb already did that and uh, mona replies that caleb didn't know where to look she hears things whirring can feel where it's warm It has a finite amount of power, she decides, and they're going to have to finish the game before the batteries run down. Uh, Mona kind of approaches the game and a blade shoots out. And it's hard to even capture Janelle's reaction here. But she like rolls back up. She kind of rocks back on one foot and like does this like smirking laugh like the way you would if like a lover just called you out on something in a way that you find utterly charming. Like she's just (laughs) delighted by this game. She and this game are flirting with one another. Uh, She just has to take a moment to admire the craftsmanship. Think about the mind that conceived this. She said, she's just taken by it. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. Why make your own dollhouse when you can turn the entire town into a dollhouse? Um, to which I ask, is the real OTP Mona and Alex Drake? Um, <laughs> Hannah, like, isn't really that keen on on Mona's, you know, need to to cavell over the game here. But Mona just needs to, like, take a moment and revel in this. Yes. I love this scene of Mona and the game. I love the way that she negs Caleb and the way that he was there with, like, his little screwdriver and his little stethoscope. And, like, Mona in two seconds is like, ooh, this is how it works. This is how that works. Uh, She's obviously experiencing several levels of arousal at once, not just over the game, but over Hannah showing it to her and it being a secret. Oh, a thousand percent. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, checking in on our other queer women now, uh, we have Paige and Emily having a sad talk at the Radley. Paige declares that Iowa just got a new assistant coach. Emily says she doesn't have to go, but Paige asks another great important question. Who would I be if I stayed? And this is a good question. It doesn't just mean how would she fit into Emily's life with this plot contrivance baby, uh, but also like would Paige be a better or worse version of herself? Like, would this relationship help her grow as a person or would it hold her back? And the writing is just entirely on the wall here. Paige is able to read it. Uh, Emily really pushes for the three of them somehow making this work, but Paige chooses herself and her own self-respect. She is going to go. She tells Emily this is the third time she's had to say goodbye to her. She is never gonna do it again. They kiss a sad kiss of goodbye. And wow, this is two episodes in a row with gay ladies smooching. Woo! Finally, Emily Fields watches Paige McCullers walk away from her. Also, the music choice here is flawless. It's a great song, um, even though it is called Love Will Make Me Stay, just as Paige is going. Oh, yeah, this, uh, this is an amazing scene. This scene... This used to be a scene that would, like, make me cry if I watched it. And it didn't do it to me that this last time. But I still think it is a, a wonderful scene. Um, 
you highlighted some of the things I really love about it. I just want to call out a few other things. This scene almost feels like a little bit, you know, um, for some reason, what comes to mind for me now is like everything everywhere all at once a little bit like this idea of like, there's an alternate world where Paige stays and then that world, it, it nothing is really better, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. the, the world that Paige needs to live in is the one where she does leave. Um, I really, really like Emily says almost as a defense of the this this request. Nobody wanted this. And Paige says, well, somebody did. They just never asked any of us. And I, I, I love that line because it's like, yes, this is, this is exactly what Mona was just talking about. This is living under the dollhouse of somebody else. And this is Paige choosing to like take herself off the board permanently. Um, Also, you know, when Emily suggests that they could all try to make this work, I was like, oh, is this part of why Emily wants Allison to have the baby? So she doesn't really have to choose. Um, Oh, which made me think of um, one of my favorite lines from Into the Woods when the baker's wife has just had her little dalliance with the prince. And um, when she she has the line, just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before, which uh. <laughs> I feel like is kind of maybe where Emily's coming from here a little bit. Um and I, you know, I think it is so funny that Paige is like, one of the things that loving you has taught me is to not be greedy. And it's like, that's a very nice way of of putting Emily's like emotional coldness, Paige. <laughs> well, I, I think it's always really great to to frame it like not as like the things that like drove me up the wall about you, but yes. the things that taught me the most. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Don't be greedy. Uh <laughs> And I, I, <laughs> to which I say, Paige, you can be a little bit greedier, a little bit greedier than you've certainly been in this relationship. Yes, I would yeah. say my take. Paige could learn a little bit about, you know, codependence. I think that would be helpful for her. Um, I love, you know, you, you called out the song. It's a gorgeous song. And I really love the pairing of Paige's line. You know, of course you do. That's what makes you Emily. And Paige getting up to walk away with the line. This is where we find out who we are. Um, because this is like both of them kind of finding out who they are. And then finally, like one of the touches that I just love on this scene is Paige leaning down and propping up Emily's chin on her finger. Excellent acting from both of them. Shay's eyes just spilling over with tears because to me, this feels like the most beautiful callback to don't look away. And this feels like, you know, we have so many, um, so many times on the liars where like the guys leave town and we it's, it's treated like they're going off to war. We're never going to see them again. Uh, this is like the Paige and Emily relationship actually getting a similar amount of weight. And also yeah. we know that this is permanent. Like this is a permanent goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I think like there are a couple callbacks in this episode, in this scene. And then in, in the scene that we'll get between Paige and Allison that, really feel like they're in conversation with early Paige and Emily when, when, when we really liked Paige and Emily. And, um, I just, I, I love that because unlike with like the Caleb stuff or the Spoby stuff, it, it actually feels like it's paying tribute to the way that the characters have grown, not forcing them to sort of stay stuck in the molds that they should have outgrown. And I think a really interesting thing here is like, 
Paige has kind of outpaced Emily. Like in in she has outgrown Emily Fields. Like she is in a place to be able to say like this isn't the life I want and I'm going to leave. And Emily isn't in a place to do that. Emily can't take herself off the game board yet. She's still playing. And I don't just mean like oh she's letting Allison play her because I think it's more complicated than that. I mean that like Emily is still really stuck in this like younger mode of thinking and behaving and Paige can kind of see outside of that a little bit and so I love her lifting Emily's chin because it's kind of like her saying like hey it's it's not over for you either like you you can get here too which is what Emily was essentially saying to Paige back in season one with you know the whole world is going to change yeah it will yeah yeah oh man that's so true chills <laughs> don't, don't get me started talking about this scene <laughs> yeah and then like you said her walking away from emily fields you know a great callback to shadow play i can't bear to see you walk away from me like this you can tell that this is a joseph doherty penned scene absolutely 110 percent. yeah for sure um, so we have another scene of Spencer by herself, uh, and another scene with a flashlight where Spencer goes to sneak into the lost woods. Uh, and there's, you know, she's kind of putting the flashlight everywhere, looking for her mother, uh, looking for Mary Drake and nobody is here. I really have to say, I, I, I mean, we're, we're presuming that the, meeting that Mary set for them was to be at the Lost Woods. Why is Mary meeting? Like, if the police are looking for Mary Drake, if they think that she killed Dunhill, and if they think that, like, she might have shot Spencer, like, isn't the Lost Woods, like, don't you think they would just have surveillance on it? Like, Mary Drake is a cruel mastermind. She couldn't come up with a better place for them to rendezvous? I I don't like it. Well, and it almost makes me wonder if I don't know. Now knowing about the Alex Drake of it all, like maybe if this was like an Alex Drake trap that Mary intentionally sabotaged or something mm. um, like, oh, if we have if we get the police to show up, then we can't kidnap Spencer or like something like that. Like it kind of seems like Mary, I would think is smarter than this. So, yeah. yeah. Agree. Well, back at the home of Mr. Prezra Fitz. He is all packed and in the middle of writing Aria a note because their relationship communication has deteriorated to this point that they are not even communicating via text or phone call anymore. Um, she asks why he is packed, although she already fucking knows. Uh, Nicole's parents want him to go and talk to the doctor. There's a new one that they don't like, yada yada. Aria calls bullshit on all of this. Can he talk to the doctor over the phone? He claims it's easier this way. Aria is like, it's easier. It's easier to pack a bag, get on a plane, rent a car. Uh, he accuses her of putting him in the middle. And Aria, like, as I'm like snapping my fingers and like cheering her on, says, no, you're in the middle, but I did not put you there. Uh, she asks if he really believes whatever it is that's going on that Nicole's parents can't handle it. Uh, and he says this is about him being able to look at himself in the mirror in the morning and says that what Nicole went through is the worst thing in the world. 
uh, gosh, love how he seems to have totally forgotten everything that has happened to Arya her whole life. Um, but anyway, he, hero protagonist, just wants to make things right for everyone. And Arya continues to challenge him by saying, okay, make things right by staying here right now. He, to the shock of no one, does not take this well and leaves in a bit of a huff, promising to be back to talk about it in two days. Oh, how much do I wish that this was the dynamic of adult Arya trying to be in this relationship. Uh, leave him, leave him, leave him. Arya, head off to Iowa with Paige. This is my recommendation. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, it's so satisfying, though, to see her get mad at him even once because it happens so rarely. And, like, she's she's completely in the right here with everything that she's saying. Um, I really think that the whole Nicole storyline would be would benefit from them going a little further beyond just nebulously like she was kidnapped, South America, blah, 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 because we don't know what happened to her. And Arya was kidnapped and <laughs> her like. Were the things that happened to Nicole, like, how, I just, I need, I need to know. I need to know what we're talking about here. I actually was thinking about that. I was thinking, I wonder if they, like, sort of painted themselves into a corner. They had already decided that Yvonne was going to be in a coma after a serious injury. And, so, like, it, doesn't it almost seem like they wanted Nicole to be, like, incapacitated in a coma-esque way? Yeah. They couldn't. Like, they, they were, like, for whatever reason, they were, like, oh, rats, we already did a coma a couple episodes ago, so we can't, we, we can't do that now. Um, yeah. Like, they, they really, like, they continually treat Nicole as if she's a person who has no agency on her own. And they clearly don't want to address whatever trauma it was that she experienced. Like, I, I mean, it was, it was, what, like, years, right? It was, like. In multiple years that she was being held and so it's like it's it's just it's so unclear what she went through and it like it makes the whole thing feel even more racist too because it's just like big big south america scary jungle you know like it's just it's just all in such broad strokes yes uh, so allison is asleep on the couch when she wakes up to surprise looming page um, I don't like this moment particularly, even though it is kind of a, you know, a bit of an energetic jump scare because it's pages like, I knocked, the door was open. You should be better about that. Like, it just serves to have us have another like, oh my God, is Paige evil moment, which like I did not need in the Paige farewell episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Uh, so Spencer is still waiting out at the Lost Woods. Um, there is a flashlight coming through the door, but oh no, it's not Mary Drake. It is Marco who followed her here and waited outside for an hour. He is pretty aggressive and he indicates that all his theories about Dunhill keep coming back to her and her friends, especially her. Uh, everyone was connected to Dunhill through Allison, but Spencer had two connections to him Allison and Mary Drake, to which I say, this is not evidence. No. Anyway, he brings up Dunhill's credit cards being used at the Radley the night they were at the bar. 
he helpfully tips her off that he's ordered paper copies of the receipts from the hotel. Uh, then Spencer remembers making an error. She signed the credit card slip with her own name due to being too drunk to commit crimes properly um, or consent to elevator sex. <clears throat> she leaves and uh, Marco basically says like he cannot stop her from leaving. This is another interesting part of their dynamic where he tells her he requested the credit card receipts. He tells her that here in the middle of nowhere with no other police around. So like, does he tell her this because he's like, hey, we're gonna find out it's you. You can confess to me now. Or does he tell her that because he's like, hey, we're gonna find out it's you unless you go do something. So I, I felt like there was an interesting duality to that. And it, don't they do that in the next episode? Isn't there a thing about them yeah. looking for the receipts? Yeah, Caleb and Hannah are going to flood the receipt room, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I actually, I quite liked this scene. This is an example of like, oh, like, yeah, these two actors actually have pretty interesting chemistry. Um, there's a lot of good energy in this scene. And like you said, not having it be Toby, like, there's not that same self-righteousness. There's like an element of danger because we just don't know this guy as well. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I like them as like, I like them as well-matched adversaries more I than do I too. like them as like romantic comedy ping pong players. I feel like this, like I, I would be like much, much more interested if this was their dynamic and then sometimes they slept together. Like that, I think. I that, agree. That I think would be a winner. Well, and one of the things that I that I do kind of like about this is like we don't know how long he's been suspicious of her. Maybe he's been suspicious of her the entire time. So I think it's very fun. Also, Spencer has a really great coat in this scene, uh, which is quite fun um, and adds to the sort of noirish elements. Um, yeah, I I I like this. I like this a lot. I like this is like we have seen the police be suspicious of the liar so many times. But somehow this feels like a slightly different take on that, which is exciting. Um, so Allie, oh well, uh, one last thing I want to say about this. Year. I what do you how do you feel about the because we we actually get confirmation in this little flashback that um, you know, she used the wrong credit card and she signed her name. Like it's this this little flashback is confirming way back in hit and run, 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 Spencer made that mistake. Um, how do you feel about this information coming out here? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, I think, I, I think this is like one of the better plotted elements of the later seasons. That might be a hot take, but like, we know how drunk Spencer was. We know that she was too drunk to carry on with the plan as they had laid it out. So I think it fits. I think it yeah. fits that this would have happened. Yeah, it's it's a rare moment of like restraint in this storytelling of like they waited to drop this bomb. And part of me is like, would it have been better if it had come out earlier? But I kind of like that they drop it here. Like when you've almost maybe forgotten about that, yeah. you come back. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And it also makes Marco seem even sketchier because you're like, did he know who, like, what, you know, did he know all along? Like, it's an interesting moment. Um, oof, so this scene, there's a lot to talk about with this scene. So Allison and Paige are sitting across from one another. 
and Allie is telling Paige that she doesn't have to leave Rosewood. Paige replies that everybody keeps telling her, her that, but it is time to go. It's time to do something else. She got what she came for, not what she thought she'd get, but what she was supposed to have. She just needs to know one thing before she goes. She needs to know if Allison loves Emily. And Allison immediately gets up, putting more space between them, saying that she is the last person that Paige should ask about love. And Paige replies that Allie knows that Emily loves her. Maybe she has known all along, and that's what made her scared and a terrible person. And then Paige corrects herself and says, no, a person who did terrible things. And then Allie says, no, she was terrible. Sometimes she still is, and, and that's why she can't answer this question. Paige points out brightly that Allie doesn't have a lot of practice with being honest with herself. And Allie says that the truth is slippery. Paige urges her to try it just for a minute. If I say it out loud, the whole world is going to change. And Allie says that she kind of like takes a breath and considers. She sort of looks off into middle distance, her eyes missed over. And she says that she knows how it feels when Emily looks at her. She has never felt that way with anyone. Emily sees who you really are and you want to be worth the effort. You want to be the person she sees. And Paige gets up. She says that her work here is done. Allie sort of shakes herself back into the moment and says that she didn't answer Paige's question. And Paige says, but she didn't lie to her. And then Paige leaves with a closing line that I just wish they would have cut in the edit. She says, Allie, you're going to have a beautiful baby. Which I'm like, uh, <laughs> it almost ruins this great scene, but it doesn't, it doesn't fully ruin it. Um, I, I just, this is a lovely scene. It is so funny to me that like probably the most emotionally resonant em Emerson scene is not between Emily and Allison. It's actually Allison talking about Emily to Paige. Um, and yet there's sort of a way in which like, of course, that's how it would have to happen because like, this is the girl who who Allison had to like torture and like try to snuff out because like she was all of Al she was all of you know Allie's impulses that she was so scared of wrapped up in a human being. This essentially, you know, Paige in a way was like Allie's avataria, right? And Allie couldn't bear to look at her, and so she tried to destroy her. And here Paige is strong and resilient and like still here saying, "Hey, hang on a minute, like." You you got to look at this here. You can't just keep going on and, like, not acknowledging what you feel. And it's, like, this gorgeous thing because, like, what what allowed Paige to get to this place, I think, was her experiences with Emily when they were kids. It was Emily, you know, taking her hand and lifting her chin and swimming those laps with her. And here Paige is, like, extending that grace to Allison the person who, you know, practically bullied Paige until uh, she, you know, uh, killed herself. And so it's it's just, it's a really incredible full circle moment for these two characters. And it's this moment of, like, honesty and vulnerability that I think I never would have expected that these two people would have gotten. So I'm I'm really happy that they do. I yeah I I couldn't have said it better. This is a this is a great scene. Um, I love the way that Allison actually does try to answer Paige's question, and it's right after they have that exchange about no, Allison was terrible. 
Um, I feel like Allison is acknowledging in some way that she does, she owes Paige some kind of, um, you know, some kind of atonement. And so yeah. she's gonna, she's gonna try to give that to her. Like, if what Paige wants to know is what are Allison's feelings about Emily, Allison's gonna try. Like, she's, she's gonna try as unused to it as she might be. She's gonna give it a shot. Um, I also, I, I noticed in this viewing of the episode, um, I feel like once Paige decides that she's going to go, like, the whole rest of, like, the, the scene in the Radley bar and then this scene, Paige has, like, she's gained the wisdom. She's talking like she's a time traveler or something. Like, she's talking like she's a person yeah. who's, like, quantum leaped back to this moment or, like, time traveler's wife. She's ended up here. Uh, or like it's gonna turn out to be the sixth sense and she's really a ghost. Like she has this, she has this like supernatural knowledge, especially when she gives the line of like you're going to have a beautiful baby. Like yeah. it's 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 so it it's so uh it's so extra. But I, I really like that. Um and like you said, I just like that um it, it feels like the story is coming full circle. And also we heard Paige say to Emily, like, I'm never going to say goodbye to you again. I I almost feel like Paige, Paige knows Emily. Like Paige has been to the Emily rodeo more than one time. Uh, and so she kind of knows, like, Emily is never going to get her shit together to have this conversation. So you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to do it on her behalf. I'm going to do everything I can so that if what Emily wants is Allison, maybe that can happen and I can actually get to like have my own life free and clear of this drama that I've been wrapped up with, you know, with these two for years. Well, I agree. And it's, it's also that way in which by Paige, like taking herself out of the, out of the game, she's able to like have this sort of all knowing perspective on the situation. Yeah. 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 I like that idea that Paige is like, okay, I, figure it the fuck out. You know, like, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that that's just, I, I love this. I love this for the character. I think this is um, like of the ways that Paige could have left the show. I think that this is a really, really moving one to extend this grace to, to a character to a character that the show has consistently tried to punish. I agree. And I have an important question for you about this scene. So I know that uh, for many years, you know, you're a diehard Emerson shipper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you've even acknowledged, you know, in, in recently that, that you've, you know, sort of rekindled some of those shipper feelings. Yep. And um, I also know that you wrote a very, very good post-series Paige and Allison fic, and that you are a big fan of Paige and Allison as a ship. And so my question for you is, when you watch this scene now, do you feel like you watch it more as an Emerson shipper or a Pallison shipper? Um, or did, or is it not, is that a false binary? Like, can both of these things exist at once? Yeah, I mean, I think the world is wide enough for Hamilton and me. No, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that, like, I, I do, I feel like this is, like you said, the most romantic Emerson disclosure that we get. So I definitely, um, I definitely, like, watch it and appreciate that as an Emerson fan. 
But I actually do think that this scene was like the genesis of an idea for like what would what would Paige and Allison be like together because this scene is really like making explicit mm -hmm. all of the things that they have in common, like how how debilitating their internalized homophobia and biphobia was, like the ways in which their feelings for Emily have like been this like you know, tidal wave um, that, that is really like had a lot of pull and a lot of control in their lives. And also like unspoken, like the way that that is not like a stable foundation, the way that Emily is always like, she's in, she's out. Like who, who does she want to be with? What baby is she going to raise? And who will she do it with? Like, that's all a mess. Um, so I, and, and I like the idea that like Paige and Allison like they feel comparatively still in this scene yeah um and and it, they they just seem to have so much common ground so yeah i i think it's both i think that i love the emerson disclosure of it but in kind of the the larger world of post series i like this as like a, a possible a possible foundational text for Paige and allison to to maybe get together at some point okay okay good answer good answer yeah uh, do we have anything else to say about this scene? I mean, it's possible that we'll have more to say about it, I think, once Emerson progresses slightly further in their end gamification, uh, if you will. But uh, I, I feel like I've said what I need to say about it for now. How about you? Yeah, I mean, just like, I hope that Paige McCullers goes on to have a fantastic fucking life that that is what i hope i agree i agree thank, yeah like th thank you Paige mccullers for existing hey there Paige mccullers um ride your bike off into a billion sunsets full of happiness exactly exactly and and women who who treat you as you deserve yes oh my goodness yes uh delightfully vander jesus in the other queer story arc uh, has hyper-adrenalized the schematics of the board game. Uh, love this as verification that she should have been asked ages ago rather than Caleb. Um, also, I feel like there is definitely an underlying sex metaphor with this board game. Uh, Mona is immediately able to find out like where everything oh, yeah. is, um, how everything is working. Uh, Hannah asks uh, Mona if she thinks that Lucas made this, but Mona demurs. Uh, then Hannah asks Mona to help her play the game and win. Uh, Mona is upset by this request. She says that she cannot do it and that Hannah shouldn't ask. Playing with people's lives like this is an addiction. And Mona very explicitly says she's an addict. Um, this is the point at which Hannah should just absolutely back off. Uh, yeah. And also I feel like there are ways that Hannah, like Mona is like willing to help with the game. Like she, she made this schematics drawing and she's like mm -hmm. assisting, but like what Hannah is asking her to do specifically is to play the game, which yeah. Mona is indicating is a bridge too far. But Hannah uh, leans on her pretty ruthlessly. I think uh, leans on her admiration for the game, her own desire to help Hannah. Uh, imagine how you'll feel. Hannah says when you win. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Hannah, do you think that this is a moment where Hannah understands the depth of Mona's feelings for her? 
Yes. I mean, yeah. I think that there's, I think that there's always that level of like plausible deniability with Hannah. Like, does she, like, how much does she know? How much does she understand? But I also think like, this is, this is like, I think quoting a line from, from one of my fics uh, in regards to Hannah and Mona that if after all this time, if Hannah doesn't know, it's because she doesn't want to know. But I think that yeah. there are very specific moments when Hannah, like, you know, like when you cut down to the truth of the matter, Hannah understands and Hannah knows, like Hannah knows that she can make this ask. But she knows that Mona's going to have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mona will, Mona yeah. will. Um, so next we have a, an interesting scene. Uh, Prezra Fitz is at the airport. Just, you know, just just when your day can't get any worse, just when your teenage former teenage girlfriend has yelled at you and you're just trying to be a good manly man who does the right manly man thing and your your flight gets delayed. Gosh darn it. He's really having, you know, he's like in his man feelings here, you can tell. Um he spies a person with Spencer's face talking in an accent that is clearly British to scuzzy train spotting era Ren Kingston like what happened buddy what happened to you <laughs> uh, this is Ren with a um a shaved head and like a big kind of like puffy overcoat this is like this is like a Ren who got like mixed up in a scene in London that I don't want to know anything about um and this person who I I'm just gonna say this is Alex Drake like you know this is Alex Drake <laughs> Uh, she stands up and she's like, Ezra, in this way, like, Tryon is so good in this scene. Like, I, Tryon, we're going to be a little hard on Tryon when, like, Alex Drake fully comes out. But in this scene, she's brilliant because there's, like, this hint of a delay to her words, this, like, hint of an accent coming through. Um, and the way that she's surveying the situation, there's this, this this cunningness or this connivingness that is like beyond the way that Spencer looks at situations normally. Uh, they ran and, and, and Alex quickly spin this story about how, <clears throat> excuse me, Spencer was gracious enough to come up, uh, to come hang out with him during the layover from hell. She suggests to Prezra that they have a drink uh, and has a very kind of weird affect here. Maybe she's just like hoping that she can kill Prezra here and go home to Aria. Who knows? Um, Prezra declines and Alex lies, runs over to him and lies and says that she's using Ren, uh, to try to get more information about Radley and asks him to not tell anyone. Uh, he looks a little weirded out, but agrees. Uh, also, it's so funny to me that somehow the two predators here have never met Ren and Prezra. Um, Ren's styling here, like what? What do you make of it? Did Julie had Julian Morris just like shaved his head for another role? You think, or is this like intentional? Because he looks he looks almost unrecognizable. He he does he does look unrecognizable. When they talk about the layover from hell, I'm like, what between like heroin and your next cocaine binge? Like what? <laughs> yes. What is this yeah. layover you he are looks having? Feeling really strung out. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, my main thought about this scene is just that like 
it's it seems really obvious but the only reason ren winds up being the the father of the rape babies is because julian morris had like this 20 minutes available to film yes yeah that that does seem that does seem like it's probably the case and it's just an odd it's an odd scene like i i agree that troyan is absolutely fantastic in it but it's just an odd scene full of like odd odd choices like why would alex drake be hanging out like fully in sight of like everyone in rosewood who might know spencer like this just this just seems like a super odd choice. Why would they be hanging out at the airport, a place where you have to show like a bunch of kinds of identification? <laughs> it's very strange. And it's like, it, it, I think we're meant to see it as like, oh, this is a slip up on her part. But like, it just not. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about why this exists. I think it just exists as a breadcrumb um, for us, you know, kind of moving forward into the Alex arc. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, Ren. I don't know how how the mighty have fallen onto shaved head hard times. Indeed. Airport Indeed. House. Yeah. Um, also, I like when Arya, like, well, Arya is mentioned specifically, but um, Spencer says, like, can you please not mention this to anyone? Can you not tell anyone? And Prezor's like, who would I tell? Well, obviously your girlfriend. Like, yes. Alex, I guess Alex Drake doesn't know that he and Arya never speak to each other now. They just like write notes. Yeah, yeah. She assumes that she assumes that like that's that that you know that 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 this is actually how people talk with one another. She's like she's like Red and I are ma- are criminal masterminds, and we have a healthier relationship than you are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so back at the De Laurentiis house, Emily comes in. To find Allison sitting on the floor, Allison announces that she has thought about it, and she is going to have the baby. Emily, after all this, is like, are you sure? And Allison, I love it, she says, no. But if Emily will help her, she, and Emily's like, I, you know, I will, I promise. Uh, and I say to that, like, like help her through the pregnancy? Because wasn't Emily, like, just a little while ago acting like she was going to take the baby once born? All bananas, um, especially as I mentioned how Emily's living on a couch in a loft that belongs to a prime AD suspect. Uh, do you think that more conversations are in order here in terms of what will happen to this child? Um, anyway, before I can call CPS, uh, this turns into the two of them vowing. Uh, that they will do this together and then embracing, not kissing, but like holding each other and and just kind of like, you know, they're there for each other physically um, on the floor. I, I do like this as kind of the bookend, the opening scene yeah. where they were so far apart um, that this and I, you know, I don't love that this is the way that the show brings them together. Um, but this is like, you know, this is it. This is the two of them. Um, like deciding that like, yes, together, like we are an entity and and we're going to take this on. It is very interesting to me that the show has seemingly sort of equated like, oh, like the only way that the equation goes that the only way for Emerson to happen is for the baby to happen. You know, like it's like both of these things have to exist. And it's almost as though the conversation with Paige, like, Allison clarifying that she loves Emily to love Emily means that she to is to have Emily's baby in a sense. 
it's it's not an equation that I love. No, no, I definitely, I definitely agree about that. And I, you know, I was an Emerson shipper throughout throughout the series, and I, I am still an Emerson shipper, like in my heart of hearts. It's always going to be like an important ship for me. Like, like I, you know, I guess my feeling was just that, like, as a as a queer kid, like growing up and, and going to high school, like in the '90s, you know you everybody falls in love with their best friend it it generally doesn't work out when you're in high school and like you know if it's not going to work out for like all of the gay kids in high school i really do want it to work out for emily i want emily to be like the fictional you know the fictional avatar uh who who gets what she wants who gets allison to love her back and to have this kind of happily ever after um so i i don't want to like diminish what we get here um, however, I, I am going to say that, like, I do, I do wish that it wasn't, um, that it wasn't so, like, I, 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 yeah, I guess I'm going to say, like, that it wasn't so bloodless, that it wasn't so, like, sort of passionless, like, we yeah. don't, we don't really get, like, Allison we don't really get Allison like talking about the ways in which she wants to be with Emily. We don't really get like, we don't get an Emerson kiss in this episode or anything. Uh, it just, it, it just feels like, um, you know, it, it just feels like they're going to be partners in this shared enterprise together. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a business deal. It's like Allison is bringing Emily on to be the co-parent of this baby. Yeah. Yeah, like you've you've won the job of co-parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's pretty weird. I agree. Uh, so back at Presria, Presres, I guess it's Presrias now. I think Arya is living there now. Uh, Arya is bringing him some coffee, saying that there will be more flights tomorrow. She apologizes to him for what she said, or at least how it came out. She says that she's afraid they're so close, and. It's interesting because she stops here and the implication is like they're so close to the wedding. But there's also this interesting thing of like Emily or Arya feels like, you know, like, okay, once we get married, it'll be okay. Once we get married, like the nagging voice that something is wrong here is going to like shut up. Right. And like, we just need to push there. We just need to get to there. And there's also the sense that she's saying like, we're so close to the end of the game, like, or she, they're so close to one of them ending up in jail. Like, it's it's this interesting thing where, like, there's this urgency here that I don't think is fully explored. Uh, he agrees that she's right. His flight wasn't canceled. He just didn't get on it. And they sort of sit with that for a minute as Arya's cell phone buzzes. Yeah, I I cannot stand Prezra. He's such an ass that doing, like, the smallest decent thing is just giving Arya all this hope. Because it's so out of character lately. Oh, yeah. She's like, wow. Wow. He didn't totally abandon me. <laughs> Maybe he does love me. <laughs> um, elsewhere, Spencer is getting out of the shower. Uh, she accidentally kicks a wine bottle across the floor. Again, same wine bottle, different wine bottle that has been drunk. Uh, her reserves are really going to be down if, uh, if these were all Spencer's wine bottles. But there is a new note. And the new note says, you brought the police. I understand. Goodbye. And Spencer just looks wrecked by this. I love, I love the drama of this. I love how it says, you know, you understand. Goodbye. Like, it's just, (laughs) oh, 
Like this note could just say, you brought the police. The note could just say, I understand. The note could just say goodbye. But no, Mary Drake has to just marry Drake all over the place here. Well, of course, she's going to marry Drake it up. I, well, you know, I, like I said, I don't have like a, a super great memory for, for this half season because I think I've watched these episodes the least of the run. And when they got to the scene at the Lost Woods, I was like, oh my gosh, like, did Marco set this whole thing up? Was this like a, a test that he was putting in place to see if Spencer was going to try to meet Mary Drake without telling him? Uh, but then when we got to this note, I was like, oh, no, no, this note, this note is classic Mary Drake. Oh, yeah, this is this is Mary Drake written all over it. All it needs is like a reference to one of her lovers, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Um, so... We go to one of the things I love about this episode is there's an actual A tag, which there hasn't been in a while. Uh, and AD is working on the Avataria technology, editing the face and such, and now adding a black hoodie, which I love. I love that it's just like a it's like a sim, you know, it's like pop <laughs> off the black hoodie. Uh, and then uh, Avataria holds up the uh, Aria file that was like Jessica's file and starts to laugh maniacally. Love that. What a what a great episode. What a refreshing episode after the ones that we have had lately. This one just had it had so much it had so much life to it. It had like stuff to talk about, which is so exciting. Yeah. 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 I like I feel like there's been a point in like the last at least three episodes where I get to I, I'm like, oh my gosh, how are there still nine minutes left? How are there still ten minutes left? How are there still twelve minutes left? And I never felt this way throughout this episode. I really, um, I was really engaged the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It it held my interest as well. And it was like, oh, you know, oh, there's this scene. Like, I was actually excited when certain scenes were coming up. And even, like, the Presria stuff was, like, more interesting. And even, you know, like, some of the things that have been less interesting held held a lot more interest this week. Yes, yes, yeah. 100,000%. Well, do we have anything more we want to say about In the Eyes Abides the Heart? No, no, a, a standout. Uh, really like it. Would love to hear, you know, people's thoughts on it, people's thoughts about Troyan uh, as a director, what it is this, this episode has, uh, if they could ever see a Paige Allison situation taking off. Um, would love to hear any thoughts on that matter. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, next week is the gloves that rocks the, the glove that rocks the cradle, which I think that that's where the, the nursery gets destroyed and, and Emerson shares a kiss. Bom, bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. So hopefully that'll be, you know, fun and fun and spicy for us. Wow. If you if you are correct, if Emerson kiss next week, that is going to be one, two, three episodes in a row with men kissing. Oh, my goodness. If wow! You're right, if next week is the kiss, I I don't remember for sure if it is or not. We'll see. Wait, when? Oh no, because Paige and Emily did kiss in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's like a record, I think, for PLL. Yes. Pretty yes. Amazing. Well, uh, until next time, when we will find out uh, who is right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how long the the stretch of gay kissing will it continue? Will well, it not? That Stay is tuned. the question. <laughs> Till then. Take care.